Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. In this episode, we have the bassist and founding member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Flea. At the time of this interview in 1996, Flea was 34 years old and was promoting the band's upcoming concert with new guitarist Dave Navarro. In the interview, Flea talks about what made him pick up the bass, the meaning behind the song P, and if he regrets his past drug use. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Hi, Flea. How you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Okay. I guess I want to start off by asking you, is it strange to think of yourself as an arena band? No, not really. I mean, because we've worked for so long to get to this point where we're playing arenas. We spent so many years starting in the smallest little dingy clubs working our way up to megadomes and uh, it's been a very gradual thing so it hasn't been like all of a sudden we're playing these big huge arenas and like it is for so many bands it's been a very gradual working thing for us so it's you know what I mean yeah are you glad that you worked your way up that way I feel good about where we're at and how we got where we're at I, I feel like that we've worked hard and we have a good understanding of what it is to be where we are we uh, understand the value of work and we understand the value of discipline and uh, understand the, the fruits of creativity. Do you feel like this is the best lineup since the first lineup of the, of the band? I can't say that, no. I think that this is an excellent lineup, and I think that it's different than any other lineup, and I think that we are smoking. But um, I think that the John Frusciante lineup was very amazing, and I think that the uh, original lineup was really strong and was the initial impetus for the, this band. It's hard to compare them. You know, they're, they're all Halal, John Frusciante, and Dave Navarre are all very different people with very different ideas and very different ways of expressing themselves. I think this is a great one. If I didn't feel like it was like we were the most smoking band in the world, I wouldn't be out here playing arenas. Was it a goal to get to this level? Um, I kind of, like, off in some foggy distance, perhaps it was a goal to play <laughs> arenas, you know? Yeah. But I more thought of, like, playing... I remember there was a place called, in Los Angeles, there's a theater called Perkins Palace. Right? I think it holds about 1,500 or 2,000 people. And I, I go see bands there, and I think, God, that was my biggest goal, was to play Perkins Palace. <laughs> And that was always what I thought, you know, if we could just make it like to play Perkins Palace, that would be like my dream come true, the greatest thing in my life. Uh, you kind of eclipsed that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, well, I just thought if we could do that, you know, obviously if you can play Perkins Palace, you can make enough money to pay the rent and to eat. You don't have to have another job. You know, you're, you're doing real good. Chad, in, uh, I think it was in the Rolling Stone piece, refers to this as a new band with new priorities. Is that the way you see it, too? Um... I don't know. My priorities aren't any different. I don't know what he's talking about. All right. It's a new band. I think, you know, Dave definitely has different priorities in his life than anyone else who's ever been in this band has in their life. His ideas of personal satisfaction. Well, what made you pick up a bass when you originally started playing bass? Um, Halal Slovak said to me, uh, we have a bass player in my band and we don't like him. And maybe you should learn how to play the bass. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's that's how I think most bass players start, don't you? The band needs a bass player, and uh, and, and there you go. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. And it, did you become as as great at it as you are by just 
just constant practice and playing, or I mean, was well. If you want to call me great, thank you. I do. I do want to call you great. Thank you very much. Um, I I, uh, I I developed my style on the bass by just playing and by listening to music that I like and listening to like a wide variety of different musics and trying to you know understand different feelings of music and lots of different types of music and just by being myself and not trying to be anyone else and by uh, really loving it mostly I think you know just truly loving loving the thing you know loving the way it feels when my fingers hit the strings loving the way it feels when I get inside you know someone's kick drum yeah yeah did it did it come naturally to you um, yeah, pretty naturally. Yeah, I, I, rhythm and, and music comes pretty naturally to me. Can you play other instruments? Do you play guitar or anything? Um, like yeah, that? I play guitar. Well, I do a lot of songwriting on guitar. Oh, okay. I don't really like my guitar playing is very not virtuosic. <laughs> you would say I, I really like I couldn't like perform on the guitar, even though I do occasionally do shows singing and playing guitar by myself. But I don't do either of those very well. It's more of a soul thing, you know. Yeah, I do. I play. I played trumpet. Yeah, I played trumpet before I started playing bass. My main goal in life was to be a jazz and a classical trumpet player. Until, much to my parents' dismay, I gave it up and went for being a punk rock bass player. <laughs> Actually, they always supported me, my parents. I'm always interested in people playing bass. I played bass and I was just horrible at it. And and I'm always curious about when, when I talk to people about uh, who, who play it, you know. Because uh, it, it's just remarkable to me uh, when when people are great at it, you know, when people are really proficient and and stuff, and really understand the instrument as you seem to, and uh, and know what you can do with it, and, and take it in other directions as well. So. Well, I, I, to me, it's like the same as as any instrument. It's just a matter of loving it and doing your own thing, and not doing anyone else's thing. And you know, putting in the hours. You know. Can you talk a bit about uh, the song P? What what inspired that? Was it a particular incident or? I think it was mostly inspired by being in nature and by having the feeling of uh, getting away from being in the, the big city where I feel um, like I'm so important in a big city because I, you know, I'm dealing with all these things that are really insignificant, like uh, you know, money and power and uh, property and you know, all these material things. And you start to feel, and these things are all so meaningless that you start to feel like you're important because you're controlling all these these meaningless things. And I get out into nature. I think I live in Costa Rica or Alaska or somewhere. I'm not really sure. And, uh, and I start becoming very small because I'm dealing with things that are actually very meaningful, like sky and rocks and dirt and shit like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Ocean and wildlife. And um, start feeling really small and realizing that that's really what it's all about. And that's where the beauty of living is, is that we are all insignificant little specks of shit. To uh, realize that is, is an intense spiritual realization, really. I mean, seriously, and uh, that's beautiful to me. And, and it's also kind of about these guys that beat me up in the Mayfair. It, where was that? Uh, this, that was a supermarket in Hollywood. Oh, okay. The guys beat the hell out of me one day. When you were a kid? Um, I was a teenager. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Shallow Be Thy Game, which I think is my favorite song on the record. It's very interesting to me that I see a lot of musicians professing their belief in God. I, I think that uh, for a long time, God was a real enemy of, of rock and roll, or, uh, or rock and roll treated God like an enemy. And now I see a lot of musicians talking about that. Um, uh, I, I guess, it, it, how do you feel about that? Do you... Well, I feel that the idea of God is a beautiful thing. And I think 
that the idea of spirituality and the idea of God, which is a beautiful thing and I'm very much into, is, is one thing, but the idea of organized religion as a uh, controlling thing, which has been used for thousands of years to keep people down and to keep people poor and to keep people ignorant and to keep people unhappy while the rich get richer and the fat get fatter is another issue. I believe in God, but I, I'm not interested in an organized religion that is murderous and evil and has a history of uh, destroying indigenous cultures and destroying people and, and uh, only out for itself and financial gain and um, things like that, you know, un under, the, under the guise of some religious dogma. I always say more people have been killed in the name of religion than anything else, and I think that song really gets at that. You know? um, yeah, well, that's what it's about. Yeah with the words and I'm right with him on it. It's not anti-spirituality or anti-God. It's anti-evil organized religion. I mean, it's just like, I mean, the Crusades, uh, the uh, the Cathars, what happened with the Cathars, what the, you know, the Catholics did, what happened with the uh, all the missionaries going around just like destroying what they called pagan religions, which are all these like beautiful ways of life for other people, beautiful ways of, of uh, creative spiritual living. They're like destroyed. You know, it's, it's disgusting. There's no excuse for it. You also don't have to look very far. I mean, uh, you know, as far as today's headline to see uh, people killing each other over their religion. So, right. Uh, it's, uh, it's ugly. Um, coffee shop, you, you make uh, reference to Iggy Pop, and there's a lot of references in, in all the articles that seem to have been written about you guys this time around about how different you are off stage from on stage and I mean Iggy I guess is sort of renowned for being a, a totally different guy off stage as opposed to on stage why, why do you think people are so surprised that you're different off stage I don't know I guess people expect if they see a show and it's we do the most wild intense show that we can I mean I don't know I guess they, they figure that that's how we're going to be all the time we're entertainers and we believe in being entertainers and giving an entertaining show and like a sonic audio entertainment as well as a visual entertainment and uh, you know and trying to be as you know theatrical and exciting as we can as performers it's funny that people can't seem to see the difference but that's like you like going expecting to see a you know, Jack Nicholson acts the way he acted in uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Every time you see him or something, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. But, I mean, actually, not to that extreme, because, we're, I mean, we're not acting. It is, it is, it, it, we are doing our thing. You know, I mean, we're playing music that is very close to our hearts, and we're trying to do it in the most entertaining way possible. But uh, that doesn't mean that we are interested in being sensitive, kind, happy, peaceful people. You've got a, uh, what, I guess 15 or 20 rows that are taken out so that people can mosh in front of the stage for this tour? Is, is that at every stop? Um, we always try to have as much uh, general admission space as we can, you know, so kids can have a good time. Yeah, is that a uh, kind of a, a nightmare logistically and insurance-wise and all that? Do you get involved with that at all? Um, to tell you the truth, I don't really. No, okay. Um, I think that, that I probably will start getting more involved. I never have at all. I kind of like to think about playing good and showing up and playing a good gig. You know, as opposed to worrying about all that stuff, but I, I'm, I'm starting to realize that it's more important for myself and us as a band to get more involved in the logistics of planning the shows. Are you comfortable with people moshing and stuff? Is that, uh... I'm extraordinarily comfortable. Okay, all right. Yeah. The wilder the better, as yeah. long as people are, uh, don't try to hurt each other. Yeah, right, okay. You have a seven-year-old daughter, is that right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I have a four-year-old daughter, and I'm Excellent. wondering, are you, are you scared? <laughs> Um, no. 
No, I'm not scared. I'm happy. Yeah, I mean, I understand being happy about it, but, man, you look at the world and, and uh, how women are treated in it and stuff, and sometimes I think, boy, this right, is well, just... I, I think the thing, you know, to be a good father is to instill in our children a sense of self-esteem and give them lots of love and, and strength so they can uh, love themselves and take care of themselves and not be victim to uh, not put themselves in situations where they might be uh, treated less than, than respectfully. To the extent you've ever thought about it, do you ever think what, what you're going to be like and when, when you're a 50-year-old musician? And I ask that because I see so many 50-year-old musicians who, you know, still have the creativity and still want to do it, but it's hard to keep the audience, you know, and... Uh, right, well, I think it depends what type of audience you want to keep, what you want to do, and are you willing to grow and change as a musician? You know, I don't think anyone can keep, do, keep doing the same shit year in and year out and expect to keep an audience because music and, and society and everything is always growing and changing and experiencing dynamics, you know? It's like, sure, we could keep doing the exact same Chili Pepper thing and, you know, we're 50, be doing, like, some gig in Vegas or something, like, you know what I mean? Yes. Or some, like, oldies package or some stupid shit like that. Or we could be, uh, you know, growing as human beings and, and growing and changing and doing different things in our life. I look at a guy like, I mean, John Entwistle, the Who is out on the road, you know, and he, I mean, he's struggling to get a couple of hundred people to come to see his gigs and I'm thinking you know this is just wow is he really yeah I mean you look at it and you see all these guys and uh, you know guys who were, who were popular you know hugely popular in the 70s and uh, you know they still want to go out and they still want to play but you know they really don't have the audience anymore right well I guess I mean like someone like John Entwistle is he uh, what is he doing no, I guess he's basically doing the sort of they're, they're his solo stuff and there's a Who medley and some of the stuff that he you know he wrote a fair amount of songs for the Especially so he's doing out and doing like 70s rock songs. Uh, yeah, I guess for the most part that's probably well, what he is doing. I mean, hey, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're going to go do 70s rock songs. It's uh, not 70s rock song time anymore. <laughs> you know, if he is not willing to grow as an artist, as a musician, he can't, he can't expect people to stay back with him. I mean, I don't know what John Antoso is doing, so I don't know, but I, I'd imagine that if he was like doing something different, there might be people that might be interested in that. Not necessarily arena rock stadium people, but there might be other people that are interested. And then at the same time, I'm sure that Aunt John Antoso made lots of money playing in The Who, and I'm sure that he has plenty of money, and I'm sure that if he's doing it, he's doing it because he likes it anyway. Yeah, my, you know what I mean? He must be having fun. He certainly hopes. So. Because I'm sure he's not doing it to, to put... Uh, food on the table. I hope you're right. I mean, I think you're right, but you never know. Yeah, you do never know. Because uh, a lot of these guys did squander their money and right. and such. One of the lines on the record that I really like is um, where you quote the butthole surfers as saying, it's better to regret something you did than something you didn't do. And I right. know people have uh, asked you to death about drugs and stuff, so I'm just going to ask, is it, uh, do, you do you regret it? Is it uh, better to have done something or, than not, or not done something? Um, I think that everything that any person has done is something that they have to be happy about because it's the truth and people should always be happy about the truth whether the truth is something that you need to learn from to realize that that's something you need not to do again and realize that there's a better way or realize that that was the excellent way and it's something that you want to keep doing and improve on or whatever but I think the truth is always good I think the truth is what it's all about two other things I'll let you go one do you have any particular feelings about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame you expect the Chili Peppers to eventually get in and uh, do you care? 
Um, I don't care. Uh, well, hold on a second. I always say I don't care about those things, and it turns out that I do care. So I have to think about it for a second. Okay. Because every time, like, with the Grammys and all that shit, it's like, ah, I don't give a fuck. But then later, I kind of, like, have the thing in my bathroom, and I look at it, and I go, oh, that's kind of cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe if we got accepted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I would feel proud of being a part of, of American history. Possibly. But to tell you the truth, I'm not really sure. I don't know. You know, but I, I, as far as I can see, whenever I see that thing, it's always kind of a joke, right? They don't have Iggy Pop in it, or they don't have, uh... It's the Lou Reed in it. Well, they got the Velvet. Oh, they got the Velvet. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Where's Iggy Pop? Is the king of rock. Iggy Pop is the greatest rocker of all time. Do you, do you like the new album? I haven't heard it. Oh, you haven't heard it, man. It's great. It yeah. is great. About every five years. Just think about it. Like over the long haul, he's always been awesome. And over the short haul, like if you examine, like you know, the best five years of any rocker's career, you know, his is just awesome. Yeah. And but he's also like never been an asshole. He's always been cool. And uh, finally, is there anything else you want to cover that we haven't talked about? No, not really. No. Okay. Well, that's the room service knocking on my door. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, see you next Monday. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed.